Alito, and welcome to Native Chalk Talk, a podcast by Natives for all. Here, we're keeping our Native ancestors' stories and history alive, while also sharing with you our Native cultures, traditions, and more. I'm Rachel Youngman, a Choctaw originally from Anadarko, Oklahoma. I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode, where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. The Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today's summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning. Small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial stability to tribal members and our neighbors. Together we build success because together we're more. Arrived on Frontline on the morning of October 7, 1918, and received an order to make an attack on October 8, 1918. We went over the top at 5.43 a.m. I went over and saw Germans in a dugout, and I shot them and killed four Germans. I was lying down in a little trench with the German artillery fire hitting all around me, but I had no fear. So I kept on going with the platoon and saw many comrades falling down, wounded, and killed from machine gun fire. I advanced on through the open country from the woods and dug in where we established our front line northeast of the town. About six o'clock, the Germans laid down the barrage and were treated to the end of the woods and established our new line and held it for two days and nights. I was acting runner for a while, and I went through the artillery fire, where they were falling all around and one hit about 25 yards from me, and I got some of the high explosion of gas and didn't go any further for about 30 minutes. Every time I hear the shell, I always fall and go again when it's over. Those were the words of Choctaw Code Talker Corporal James Edwards in his report from the Battle of St. Etienne and written about in the book, Anumpa Warrior. Choctaw Code Talkers of World War I by one of my favorite authors, Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer. Corporal James Edwards was one of only a few of these unsung heroes. Ben Carterby, Otis Leader, Joseph Oklahombe, and others, they served their country with honor and humbly revealed the details of their successful missions, delaying their own glory that would someday be received by their descendants. We're coming to you today from First Americans Museum, also known as FAM, in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, to talk about all things Code Talkers with my guests, Nuchi Neshoba and Judy Allen. We'll get to know Nuchi and Judy in just a moment, but first, I'd like to give a big shout out to FAM for hosting us in this beautiful museum that's dedicated to sharing an authentic and unique perspective on First American history. This museum serves as a dynamic center promoting awareness and educating the broader public about the unique cultures, diversity, history, contributions, and resilience of the 39 tribal nations in Oklahoma today. Yakoki fam. And now please meet my guests, Nuchi and Judy. Ladies, welcome to Native Chalk Talk. Thank you. I wanted to share a bit about both of you before we delve into today's important topic. Nuchi Neshoba mother of three and grandmother to five, is a woman who goes above and beyond with passion and honor. She is the active president chair of the Choctaw Code Talkers Association, is a published author of the book, Ben Nighthorse Campbell, Senator and Artist, has worked in public relations, has been a business owner, has prior work experience in acting, 
and is an advocate for tribal duties of faith, family, and culture. Nucci was also incorporated by artist D.G. Smalling as Lady Justice, as an exhibit which represents seven women symbolically and traditionally expressing strength as a task force. She is also humbled to be included in the reflection with the other women displayed at the Choctaw Cultural Center in Durant from September through November of 2022. And Judy Allen is the Historic Projects Officer at Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma and in fact has worked for Choctaw Nation since 1984 uh, in the communications, public relations, tribal relations, and historic projects sectors. Judy's passion for preserving both current and past history of tribal people and the Choctaw Nation led the recent creation of Memory Keepers, a photo-rich book she authored on the life stories of Choctaw people, and a children's book on World War I code talker Joseph Oklahombi, as well as other projects featuring the history of Choctaw people and the tribal government. Judy is married to Ray Allen, her husband of 43 years. They live in Atoka, Oklahoma, and have one son, three grandchildren, and three spoiled dogs. <laughs> I relate to the spoiled dog thing. My dog, Taloa, rules our house. Ladies, I'm truly honored today to learn more from you about our Choctaw Code Talkers, so thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. So first off, for those who may not have heard of these heroes, who are the Code Talkers? The Code Talkers were a group of Choctaw men who enlisted in the Army and became part of the 36th Division. Now, we entered the war later, so on October 6, 1918, these men were sent on the front line. And after they were sent on the front line, of course, if they had not done the co-talking, the war might have not ended. Oh, wow. So that's, I mean, that's a lot to take in to know that there was such a presence there that actually affected World War I and that outcome. That's a big deal. So tell us about the Choctaw Code Talkers Association. I was just in a meeting with you all the other day mm -hmm. at the Choctaw Labor Day Festival. It was a wonderful event, which was so exciting because so many of the descendants that are from the Code Talkers were actually there. I couldn't believe I got to meet them. So tell us more, though, about that Choctaw Code Talkers Association. Well, the Code Talkers Association is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our objectives are actually to collect and preserve any and all items pertaining to the co-talkers, mm -hmm. uh, to encourage education, research and documentation, uh, publications, book, which we have accomplished a lot of that, and of course the purpose of, of continuing our language, heritage, and culture. Absolutely. And later we'll talk about some ways that you've increased the recognition for these code talkers. The great work of these code talkers hit home for you personally, Nucci. Why is that? My great-grandfather was a code talker in World War I. It's amazing. Yes. Wow. So I'm sure he's always on your mind as you've sought to honor him and the others. So let's delve in and learn more about the Code Talkers. There was a common thread among some of the men as to where they went to school, correct? Well, yes, a lot of the Code Talkers went to Jones Academy or Armstrong Academy. And uh, in fact, some of them actually were uh, either enlisted or drafted from Armstrong Academy, most enlisted from, from there. 
and uh, from all different ages. And we'll probably talk a little bit later about one of the uh, students, Solomon Lewis, who was mm -hmm. actually very young. And uh, if we have time a little bit later, I'd like to tell his story. Absolutely. I will definitely give you that, that floor to do that. Were these gentlemen that later became the co-talkers, were they drafted or did they sign up on their own, Judy? Uh, a little bit of both. And you can tell, we know that because we actually were able to obtain their enlistment cards. And uh, you can see that uh, there was a place on these cards where they were uh, they put in their own handwriting. Uh, if they were enlisted or drafted. And there were a lot of different reasons as to why they would have done this and mm -hmm. talking to their families. Some, it was a way for them to have a job that made money for their families. Others, they thought it was a way to see the world. And some, they thought it was their patriotic duty to do so. So uh, just like any other race of people, the Native Americans uh, were enlisting in the United States military for various reasons, for a very diverse reasons. Mm. Okay, and so these Choctaws joined the military mm -hmm. and would eventually find a niche for themselves that significantly, as you mentioned earlier, Nucci, mm -hmm. it significantly and positively impacted World War I. Mm -hmm. So how did it all start? What do you mean, how did it all start? So how did the code talking itself start among these men? Well, while there were battles going on in France, even before the co-talkers arrived in uh, Europe, mm -hmm. the Germans were masters at tapping into the phone lines that were strewn all over. They would tap into the phone lines and they would listen in. And so they were also masters at decoding all of the messages. No matter what the American expeditionary forces would send over the lines, the Germans were able to listen and decode. So wherever we would put our supply dumps, wherever we would try to move our troops, the Germans would know. They would bomb our supply dumps. They would intercept our troops. We couldn't even move our wounded hmm. without the Germans knowing. And so the commanding officers were at a loss as to how could we do better communications because it was resulting in tremendous losses for our troops. There was one point at Saint-Antienne where we could, didn't even have water for our troops and they were sending in canned tomatoes for the men to drink. Oh, wow. Uh, and that was absolutely miserable. Our losses at Saint-Antienne were in the thousands for deaths and wounded. And so while they were trying to figure out better communications methods, they knew that we had uh, a large number of Native Americans, especially in uh, the 142nd, where our, most of our co-talkers are mm -hmm. from. And so they came up with the idea of finding out how many of the uh, American Indians could speak the same language. They knew there were a large number of Choctaws, and several of them were officers. Wow. And so they came up with the idea of sending messages in Choctaw. They sent one message as a test that was a fake message <laughs> that resulted in uh, the Germans bombing the fake place. Well, the rest 
as they say, is history. The rest is history. <laughs> that's right. That's a that's a great bit of information about how they got started, and and it just was a, such a pivotal moment. If you can imagine, like being there at that time and being able to see that that's how it all happened, it must have been yes. incredible. So before we go further, I'd like to show some respect to these great men that we're talking about. So Choctaw Nation's educational booklet entitled Choctaw Code Talkers, Telephone Warriors states that among the Choctaw veterans of World War One were those who were heralded as World War One Choctaw Code Talkers. These reported telephone warriors were Solomon Bond Lewis, Mitchell Bob, Robert Taylor, Calvin Wilson, Pete Maytubby, James M. Edwards, Jeff Wilson, Tobias William Frazier, Benjamin W. Hampton, Albert Billy, Joseph Davenport, Jonas Durant, George Davenport, Noel Johnson, Victor Brown, Ben Carterby, which is Nucci's mm -hmm. great-grandfather, Ben Colbert, Otis Leader, Joseph Oklahombe, and Walter Veach. Bravo, gentlemen. So here are the words from a testimony to the Army reorganization hearings. Joseph Dixon, leader of the Rodman Wanamaker Historical Expedition stated, they knew that the Germans had a superior listening in system and were finding out the entire movements of the American and French troops. Therefore, the commander ordered over the telephone a movement of troops at a certain spot at eight o'clock that night, which of course was a false command, as you mentioned, Judy. At precisely eight o'clock that night, the Germans put down a terrific barrage on the exact spot. So it was then that Colonel Morrissey and Captain Horner conceived the idea of using the Indian in his own dialect, and therefore they placed six Indians at the end of the telephone wire, three at headquarters and three on the firing line, and the messages were transmitted and the messages were transmitted in the Choctaw dialect, which proved to be very effective during the short time that it was used. One can imagine that this barbed wire conversation was a barrage that nonplussed the puzzled Germans. According to the Choctaw Code Talkers educational booklet that we'll talk about in just a moment, messages transmitted in Choctaw were said to be very effective, never deciphered by the German army. The experiment worked. Germans who intercepted phone calls from the battlefield were baffled. The test was a success and gave birth to the Choctaw Telephone Squad. It was the start of code talking. So after they tested this method and it was a success, the official code talking began. So let's set the scene as to where these soldiers were and in what infantry they were in. Tell us all about it, Judy. Well, as I said earlier, most of the soldiers were in the 142nd Infantry. They had trained at Camp Bowie, Texas. And when they got to France, first their first big battle was at saint Antienne. Then they moved on down to Forest Farm. They were joined by the, uh, more soldiers, uh, uh, namely the 144th. Mm -hmm. So the, there were other code talkers that later trained from uh, the 143rd, <clears throat> we understand, and even the 141st. But at Forest Farm, uh, it was mostly the 142nd and 144th. But uh, these soldiers were amazing and we are so appreciative of their efforts because it was only two weeks after their successful work on October 26th and 27th wow. that the, only two weeks later the armistice was signed. And I, do you realize that the American Expeditionary Forces, thanks in large part to the communications mm -hmm. efforts and the successful use of the Choctaw language, we only suffered about a dozen deaths at Forest Farm. 
That's amazing. It is amazing. I mean, how many people did not know this? I didn't know this for many years. And it's a good thing that you guys are together working on this and getting this information out to everyone. So again, originally there's German interception, which had led to losses in battle. You good? Okay. So again, originally there's German interception, which had led to losses in battle. And our Choctaw soldiers were able to provide code words that would be indecipherable. What happened, Judy, when they officially put these code words into action? Well, the Germans tapped the phones and they tried to decipher them, but they couldn't. In fact, there was one German that was captured that Albert Billy, one of the code talkers, laughed about later. They said <laughs> that the captured German asked, who was on the phone lines? And the only response he was given was, it was an American on the phone lines. <laughs> wow, they must have been so baffled. So we tend to hear a lot about the Navajo code talkers, but most people don't realize that the Choctaw were the first, right, Nuchi? Yes, they were. If it had not been for the men of World War One, the Navajo code talkers would not have been able to speak their language in World War II. So it was these men that paved the way for others to follow. Wow. And I'm so proud of our Choctaw warriors. They were the very first code talkers. And were there any casualties for our code talkers in World War I, Judy? Uh, we did not have any battlefield casualties. One of our code talkers, Noel Johnson, did contract tuberculosis after the armistice and was sent home on a tuberculosis ship. He uh, was kept in a TB hospital in North Carolina and did pass away before he came home mm. and is buried in Arkansas. Wow, I bet his family were very surprised later to find out what a hero he was beyond even just serving our country. Yes, and they are very proud of him. His uh, great niece said that she used to look at his picture on the <laughs> fireplace mantle all the time and ask questions about him. Uh, the family is part of our Co-Talker Association. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So what were some of those words the Choctaw used as code to confuse the Germans? Since the Choctaw language does not always have words that would, you know, uh, say military terms, sure. these men made up their codes and for and I'm gonna just kind of show you oh, this. Yeah. The first battalion was one grain of corn, which was Tante Taniha Chafa, and then two grains of corn was the second battalion. The third was three grains of corn, and a corn was very prevalent with the Choctaw people as well. Mm -hmm. So I knew they were gonna throw that Tante in there. There somewhere. had to be Tante yeah. in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Platoon was thong, machine gun was little gun shoot fast, artillery was big gun, grenade was stone, ration was food, attack was fight, patrol was mini scouts, casualty was scalps, gas was bad air, <laughs> a soldier was a warrior or tushka. Yeah. And of course, there's no way the Germans would be able to no. decipher that. Wow. 
So there was a name for those Choctaw first language speakers who knew just a little English at the time, right? Judy, you and I were talking about this the other day. Yes, I had interviewed one of our first language speakers. Her name is Eleanor Caldwell. She lives in Wright City, the town that Joseph oh, yeah. Oklahoma mm -hmm. is from. And uh, she and I were discussing how Joseph Oklahoma, who was not great at speaking or writing English, how could he have been a code talker when he <laughs> would have had according to reports, difficulty writing down English. She said, well, he probably spoke chocolate. And I asked her what that <laughs> what was. What is chocolate? <laughs> she said, well, that, that's uh, when some of us who grew up speaking Choctaw had to learn English mm -hmm. basically as a second language. She said, that's what a lot of us spoke was chocolate. Wow. We spoke Choctaw and English, but uh, English was a second language for us. That's so interesting. So chocolate, I'll have to remember that. So let's talk about some of these code talkers and their specific stories. So Nucci, let's start with your great-grandfather, Ben Carterby. Yes, um, my great-grandfather was born in 1893 in a small town called Bethel. Um, I remember him having a camp house at one of our Indian grounds called Big Lick. Okay. I grew up looking at the photo of him in his military attire. I was just so drawn to that constantly. Mm -hmm. But he liked the simple life of, you know, hunting deer and going fishing, yeah. which was really great around that area. That's pretty much. And that was the Grandpa story Carter, of your yeah. Grandpa Carterby. I love that. And what's so crazy to me is I, I had always heard the name Ben Carterby when I was looking around at the Code Talker information. I never knew that I would meet one of his descendants, so very cool. So did you ever get to meet him before he had, or had he passed on? He had already passed, oh, okay. but you know, as he actually died two weeks before I was born. Oh, wow. So, you know, they say that when you're in your mother's womb, you're able to hear voices and mm -hmm. know that person. So I think as a young girl looking at that picture and being so fascinated with that picture, I think I really knew who he was. Mm -hmm. And then to grow up and become president of the Co-Talkers Association, is just utterly wow. amazing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It must be such an honor. So, Judy, let's hear about Joseph Oklahoma. Well, apparently he was a great soldier. In uh, an interview with the uh, Daily Oklahoman after the war, he talked about uh, having a duty as a scout. And he talked about um, uh, performing his duties. And on his enlistment card, uh, he put that he was a natural born citizen, which put to rest a lot of the rumors that mm -hmm. uh, he had not been a United States citizen because on his enlistment card, he claimed his citizenship. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a citizen of the state of Oklahoma, he would have been a citizen. Yeah. And he was one of the, he was in a lot of newspapers. Uh, let me start that over. Oh, you're fine. A lot of the newspapers not just in Oklahoma, but across uh, the United States, talked about his heroic efforts in World War wow. I and talked about him receiving the, the Croix de Guerre from France. And he and his comrades, his uh, other soldiers in his unit, had all received this Croix de Guerre for a certain action that they had 
performed while they were at Saint Antienne. And then he went on to uh, train as a co-talker, apparently, because he and his family were very proud to talk about that later in the war. He didn't tell a lot of people about it, but he told enough that, that they were aware of it. And in fact, his jacket and canteen and some other uh, memorabilia, including his medal, are uh, at the History Center in oh, Oklahoma City. So interesting. So guests, be sure to go by there and check that out if you'd like to see that in person mm -hmm. and it's really what an amazing guy the more I've heard about him and learned about him the more impressed I am and from the Code Talkers educational booklet five weeks before the armistice in 1918 Oklahombi and his division were cut off from the rest of the company as a scout Oklahombi was in the lead when he and another 23 men came across a German machine gun emplacement with about 50 trench mortars Oklahombi moved about 200 yards over open ground against artillery, rushing the machine gun nest and capturing one of the guns, turning the weapon on the enemy. The Americans held the Germans down with blistering fire for four days without food or water until their surrender. Of the enemy, 171 were taken prisoner. General orders cited Oklahombi for his bravery for his actions. His medals and recognitions included the Citation Star, Victory Ribbon, and the Croix de Guerre, as you mentioned, Silver. The Choctaw Nation is among those making efforts for a posthumous award of the Congressional Medal of Honor to be awarded to Oklahombi. Mm -hmm. So what was he like as a person, Joseph Oklahombi? Well, uh, reports are that he was very humble. He loved to go fishing, uh, and he liked to fish with a bow and arrow. His bow is really? actually on display at the Choctaw Nation Museum at Tuscahoma. Wow. And the place he loved to fish was called Horsehead Creek. And that creek is um, the creek where his bridge is, uh, and it's named after Joseph Oklahoma. Nucci and the rest of the Cotocker Association uh, lobbied and had a bridge put over uh, a creek or a river for every one of our code talkers of World War I and World War II, and that's the creek that he has his bridge over. But when Hollywood came calling and wanted to make a movie about Joseph Oklahoma and his exploits in World War I, he refused because <laughs> he said, I can't take Horsehead Creek with me where I can fish every day. <laughs> uh, so I can't go to Hollywood. I love that. And so what a stayed, cool guy. He stayed home in Hollywood and Hollywood went back. There you go. <laughs> Fascinating. What a guy. So another code talker we should talk about is Corporal Otis Leader. So tell us about Otis and how he came to join the Army. Well, he's pretty fascinating as well. He was over six foot tall. The, and very handsome. <laughs> he was working for a Swiss rancher in uh, Cole County. They had to go to the stockyards at Fort Worth and uh, do some cattle buying and selling. And while they were there, here's this tall, dark, and handsome Indian guy with this other gentleman with a foreign accent. Everyone had been more, this was uh, about the start of the war. Mm -hmm. Everyone was worried about spies everywhere. <laughs> and so someone reported them as spies. They were seen getting on a train headed back toward McAllister. And so they called ahead that spies were on the train to McAllister. So they're thinking that Otis Leader for and some reason Swiss is a guy spy. are spies. Oh my Lord, okay. <laughs> so the sheriff of McAllister is going to meet the train 
capture the spies, <laughs> along with the U.S. Marshal. When he sees Otis and the Swiss rancher, whom the sheriff knows very well because they're outstanding citizens, he goes up and he tells Otis what's going on, and they, the sheriff thinks it's a little humorous, but Otis is very offended. Hmm. And why was he offended? Because he didn't want to be thought of as a spy. Right. He's very patriotic. Yeah. So he goes and he enlists <laughs> to serve his country. There you go. To prove that he is not a spy. There you go. He, he, he is in the first division. The first division is literally the first division that goes overseas in 1917. Wow. I bet that showed the folks back there trying to yes, he's accuse a, him of being a spy. He's a widower with two young daughters who his mother takes care of mm. while he's gone. Otis is also very well educated and keeps a journal, a written journal, of his entire time that he's gone. Mm. So, and it is, documents everything. And it is beautifully written. So we have this wonderful history of what goes on. He is uh, an amazing person. Otis Leader is also, as I keep mentioning, very tall, dark, and handsome. So one of the first duties when the first division gets to France is to march in a parade to show what the American troops look like and how mm -hmm. they march so well. Raymond Devereux is this wonderful French painter who has been commissioned to paint the troops that are in France. And he sees Otis Leader and says, I want to paint that guy as the American doughboy. And so General Pershing signs off on it. Otis poses for this wonderful oil painting that hangs in the Army Museum in France still. When authors Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer and researcher Tijuana Kukenauer go to France a few years ago, they actually go to the museum in France, get permission to have a copy of this painting made of our Choctaw Code Talker. Now we have a copy at our museum at Tushkahoma oh, thanks to these amazing. two ladies. It I can't amazing. believe the museum allowed them to do that. Can yeah. we just make yeah. a copy of this? Of course. I mean, <laughs> As they love, but they love Native Americans and they love our history just like mm -hmm. we do. Yeah. And they're great collaborators. So, uh, but it's, you know, here, here we are. Wow. Uh, over a hundred years later, and we're just now really getting deep into our history and sharing it well. Mm -hmm. And uh, but Otis Leader, uh, the state of Oklahoma passed legislation naming him one of our greatest war heroes. General Pershing himself called him America's greatest fighting machine. Mm. Uh, he's highly decorated. He's, I just can't say enough about what a treasure he is. And you mentioned Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer was one of your favorite authors. She's currently writing a historical Word novel on the about street, him. everyone, is that Sarah Elizabeth <laughs> Sawyer is doing research about Otis and Leader. She, and her <laughs> next big novel is going to be about him. Yes. Wow, that I am definitely going to read that. So everybody yeah. keep an eye out for it. I don't know how long it'll take her yeah. to write that, but she was in Oklahoma the other day just doing a bunch of research, yeah. wasn't she? Yeah, and this it's is amazing. going to be a great book because of yes. him. He is a wonderful, wonderful yeah. oh, subject. absolutely. And from being accused of being a spy to being in a portrait in a museum. And How a great exciting hero. is that? And a great oh yeah. Well tell us about his time in the military. Oh well he he was with at the battle where the first two Americans were killed. They were in his 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 battalion. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, so and he was the only survivor uh, of several wow. uh, battles. Uh, he 
He, he was, like I said, highly decorated. He was wounded and gassed twice. When, when people get online or email me for their copy, they can see this online at Choctaw mm -hmm. website or email me for a copy of this, which we, you will have my email at the end of the podcast. Mm -hmm. You can read all about Otis. And, and that's that Choctaw yeah. Code Talkers educational booklet we're talking about yes. called yeah. the, um, what's the title of it again? It is Choctaw Code Talkers Telephone Warriors but it has a little bit of a bow about each and every of our code talkers. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to miss out on this and it is free. Absolutely. So we'll definitely provide some information. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to add, which is kind of ironic because Otis Leader was such a tall, you know, Indian man. And there are a lot of Choctaws that and are not Choctaws as tall. And the Choctaws that, you know, like my great grandpa or Joseph Oklahomby, these men were actually very short. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I saw Joseph Oklahomby's uniform, and I don't think I could even oh, fit it. Oh, my goodness, it. really? Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. So they were very little. They were very little men. Small men. So Otis yeah. Leader is this yes, towering yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he's part Chickasaw, too. Oh, is yes. he? Okay. Yes. Okay. In fact, the original journals are held uh, by the Chickasaw Nation, I believe. Okay. Yes. Very interesting. On May 28, 1918, Leader was wounded and gassed during the American offensive at, at Cantigny, but rejoined his division near Soissons in July. In the next battle, he crawled through a ravine to attack a machine gun nest. Getting within 60 feet of the enemy, Leader picked up a rifle and fought with the infantry after his own machine gun crew had all been killed. Attacking the German positions, Leader captured two machine guns and 18 enemy soldiers manning them. Wow. Otis was awarded the French Croix de Guerre twice, one with Palm and one with Silver Star. Purple Heart Medal, Silver Star Medal, Victory Medal, French Verdon Medal, and many more. In 1955, the Oklahoma House of Representatives praised Leader as the outstanding soldier of World War I. He was buried at Colgate in 1961. That's Colgate, Oklahoma. What a warrior. It's amazing. And so now we have to say goodbye to Otis Leader. It was great learning more about him. but. Um, Tell us more about Solomon Lewis, and let's start with what was his early life like, Judy? Well, he was born in 1898. He went to Armstrong Academy, and he was an orphan. Mm. Um, he met Mary Patterson at a football game, and she was also an orphan, <laughs> and uh, they really liked each other. And so when he went to join the military, uh, they were, he was sent to Camp Bowie, which is in Texas. Mm -hmm. And he found out that there was life insurance available for them to go overseas. But uh, when it came time to sign up for who was the beneficiary, he didn't have anyone to sign Aww. up. Yeah. So he contacted Mary and asked her to come to Camp Bowie so they could get married. He wanted to put her down as his beneficiary. Aww. But uh, she came. They married, and they had a very happy marriage with children, and oh, uh, it wonderful. lasted. That, wow. Uh, you know, they, I'm not sure how many years they were married, but uh, they were still married when he What a proposal. Away. Hey, yep. I need to find somebody to be my beneficiary. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of liked you, so. Well, um, <laughs> you know, apparently they, uh, they were in love. And, yeah, um, it, and two orphans, and yeah. I love that story. But they found, they found each other. Yeah. And I've all, I've always I've always thought that is pretty cool. To, uh, yeah. Yes. Go to a ball game. You meet 
someone that you connect with and right uh, right before you're shipped out overseas you call them and at that time during 1917 to ask someone to come from Durant to mm. uh, Texas down by Fort Worth that's not that's a, a short long way trip. yeah come, come and marry me before mm -hmm. I leave for France right oh wow yes and then Mary Patterson well Mary Lewis she also was a volunteer for the Red Cross during oh. the war as well. Good people mm -hmm. there. Yeah, I love them. Yeah. And he was young, right, when he enlisted in the service? Yeah, he was one of the youngest ones. Um, but he ended up being an officer. He was a corporal in the 142nd. And in fact, uh, he's credited with being one of the leaders of the Kotaker and organizing the group. Uh, apparently, when the officers came up with the idea. They asked him to find the other men that spoke Choctaw and organize who went where. Wow, good guy. Must have been very intelligent. Yes, he must have been. All of these guys just came together as a team and brought something very powerful to mm -hmm. our, our service. So once again, mm -hmm. out of the Choctaw Educational Booklet, it describes a particular story that I thought was interesting, including Lewis. Reports say Lewis was stationed at division headquarters with Choctaw James Edwards on the other end of the telephone line out in the field at the front line. The others were stationed along the line. Ben Carterby's message came in, go quick and tell Colonel Brewer it is hell down here where I am. The Kaiser's crack troops are getting ready to go over the top tomorrow. They are the Prussian guards. Orders were sent in Choctaw to go over the top at 6 a.m. ahead of the Germans and a message to the field artillery to send a barrage over at 5.55 a.m. Over 500 prisoners were captured in about 30 minutes that morning. It was reported that the ground was literally covered with dead German soldiers, with about half of the enemy company killed and wounded. It was a great success for Allied forces. And these are just a few stories of a few of our code talkers. And so I encourage you listeners to visit the Choctaw Nation Museum in Oklahoma at Tushkahoma to see their code talkers exhibit. Be sure to order the booklet from Judy. It's um, got some great pictures in it and lots of information. And we've been talking a lot about Choctaw author Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer. The very first battle in which the Choctaws who later became code talkers were engaged in was called the Battle of Saint Etienne, as we've talked about earlier. So Sarah writes the following in her historical fiction book, A Numpa Warrior, Choctaw Code Talkers of World War I. <coughs> Sharp machine gun fire exploded around us. Rat-a-tat, a shout came from down the way. I tensed and looked. Word spread quick that two Indian corporals had been hit, men I knew, killed. 5.14 a.m., five, four, three. I gripped my Enfield and climbed out of the trench. Thousands of American troops poured over the top, the rolling barrage ahead of us. I heard screams in the explosion behind me. The German soldiers were ready and waiting. I tried to keep an eye on my comrades, but it was impossible as we plowed forward into the German machine gun fire that chewed up the ground, something the Marines had advised us to do. I stayed low to the ground. Getting shot at scared the living daylights out of me, but it also made me mad. I wanted to hunker down and start shooting, but we were to let the rolling barrage be our firepower until we were closer to our objective. I think that passage really makes you feel like you're there amongst our Choctaws in battle. God bless our veterans. So what happened after the war? 
Well, the men arrived home and they really just went back to their lives as they knew it before they left. And of course they were sworn to secrecy, so they really weren't allowed to speak about any of that. And mm -hmm. there were no family members that really knew about that. So it was, you know, a lot of them became, um, got involved with the Bureau of Indian Affairs. I know Solomon Lewis had been elected four times in hmm. Bryan County to be the Justice of Peace. And wow. when upon his staff, he, he was a minister. So hmm. they went back to their normal routines, um, hunting, shooting rabbits and squirrels, because <laughs> at that time you lived off the land. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them just resumed their normal Isn't life. that they something? Knew it as. They went over there, yeah. did all these big things, and then they just came back and went fishing right. and hunting. Right. <laughs> Side note, when I think of my Choctaw grandpa who was in the Korean War, I always wondered if you know, he and other Choctaws connected overseas while they were in service. Probably will never know. But I realized the Choctaw Code Talkers were together. But I wonder if there were other Choctaws or natives of other tribes in World War I that may have found each other over there. What do you think? Well, I know from my experience, I really believe they they did. Um, I can tell you a story about what happened to me and what I did. I was invited to speak at the um, uh, Native, it was the Gathering of Nations mm -hmm. for uh, Native Indian veterans, and that was in Illinois. I was dropped off at my hotel room and I look around, you know, you're all alone. I have not ever been to that place mm -hmm. in my life. So I look around and I spot a van that says Seminole Nation of Oklahoma. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I thought, yay. <laughs> so I looked and I kept watching that van. You know, I would, I would go back and then I would come back down and I would look, I was like a spy, you know? <laughs> and I finally, I finally see a gentleman walking over to the van and man, I'm out that door and I'm, hi, how are you, you know? It was actually the Seminole Nation Honor Guards oh, that neat. were going to the Gathering of Nations like I was. Yeah. And they took me under their wings. And during the whole duration of that event, they were right there with me. Wow. So I have no doubt they find each other. I think they do. Yes. I really do I think do. that they're, you know, there's this draw when you see kind of your family, right. so to speak, yes. you will run to them. Yes. So interesting. Mm -hmm. I like that. So for those who don't know much about the Code Talkers, here's the kicker. These brave soldiers who utilize their language a language they were once told they weren't supposed to speak, by the way, they used the same language to defeat the Germans, and yet no one back home could know what they did. They were sworn to secrecy. So, Nucci, nothing at all? Your great-grandfather never said a word? Not one. You know, my, wow. my grandmother asked him at one time if, you know, what did you do there? And he said, "Oh, we we can't we can't talk about that. They'll come and find us." And so he refused to say anything about that. And ironically, even wives and brothers and sisters of any of these men did not know what they did because hmm. at that time, and I'm not saying that it's not 
that way today, but at that time, your word was your honor. Mm. And when you gave your word, you spoke nothing about that at all. Wow. So these men were very honorable, and no one, no one knew about mm. what the co-talkers did. Some people, when they found out, even wives were saying, I did not know that. And they had been <laughs> married for 50 years. Wow. And they still did not know that they were part of the Choctaw Co-Talkers. Amazing. Their word was their, their honor. honor. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. So we obviously are talking about them now. So at what point did this information become declassified, I'd guess you'd say, right? Well, there's some conflict over that, obviously. Really? Because okay. the memo says it was declassified in 1946. Okay. But the Army uh, reorganization hearings were public mm -hmm. uh, to a certain point. There are various newspaper articles that talk about it from time to time. Uh, and yet families did not always know. Mm -hmm. Just recently, uh, we had the name of Jonas Durant added to our list oh, of co-talkers. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, thanks to research by Dr. Bill Meadows and uh, Scott Schoner, another researcher. When we contacted family of Jonas Durant, they had no idea. Really? So oh my you can gosh. See, you Guess can see, what? Yeah. Family of Jonas Durant. Yeah. <laughs> we you can news. see how uh, the oral history doesn't always carry down. Mm -hmm. And then there are other families like James Edwards that did have some oral history of it. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's hard to say exactly when did that really become de declassified. Right, right. So interesting. So, what a surprise for so many families. Yes. That'd be exciting to be able it to give is. them that news. Is there another family out there? Oh, we may not. We may not know now, but yeah. you know, in a few yeah. years, we may yeah. know. Yeah. Ah. So, what's happened since the Code Talkers of World War One aided in the wars via their coded communications? Well, a lot has happened. We have, of course, the. You know, the museum, the mm -hmm. silver medals, they've been awarded their medals to honor by the United States government. Robert Holzer recently used the artwork of Gwen Coleman Lester to create a no the nose art on an F-15 fi uh, fighter jet. Oh, my goodness. In Oregon. Uh, he's with the Kinsley National Air Guard there. Okay. And um, it just continues to go on and on and on. You know, we try to really honor these men by doing so many different things that we're able to, to mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. Although most of code, most of code talkers, <laughs> let me start that over. Although most code talkers would never see the recognition they deserved, a beautiful honor was bestowed upon those who were still living and for the families of those who had passed. So tell us about this highest honor, Judy. Well, I think the highest honor that we've been able to, uh, let me start over. I think the highest recognition we've been able to give the co-talkers, not only of the Choctaw Nation, but all co-talkers of all tribes, is the Congressional Gold Medal. Wow. And you can see behind us a display of some of those gold medals mm -hmm. of some of the tribes. And the Choctaw gold medal is this one. 
each tribe was able to design their own hmm. obverse and reverse of their metal, and it has a meaning for each design of each tribe. Would you share with us the meaning about the one you're holding, which is the Choctaw? This is the metal. Choctaw, and it shows <laughs> it okay. shows a Choctaw co-talker of World War One mm -hmm. writing on his tablet so that he could share the Choctaw words for big gun. Wow, that's so and neat. And as you can see here, it says Tonapa Chito, big gun. I'm not sure what the rest of the message is going to say. <laughs> he hasn't finished writing it. We may never know. But he's crouched down with his helmet on against so he won't be injured by enemy fire. And he will soon hand that message over to be told on the telephone. That's fantastic. Very interesting. And as I told, as we said earlier, we didn't suffer any casualties, so he didn't get shot. Right, right. <laughs> Amazing. And on, on the reverse, it's just a version of the center of the Choctaw Seal with World War One and World War Two, so that it has both designs. And we had to actually testify before a congressional committee wow. so that they would approve our design. Each tribe had to do that to or they wouldn't, the mint wouldn't print that. And the mint hmm. said that this was the largest uh, project they had ever done. Really? To, to print all of these medals consecutively. Wow. And all of this, the congressional medals, were really from the work that the Choctaw Code Talkers Association put into trying to honor the, the veterans, right? Well, this was uh, one of our goals, but the Choctaw Nation itself, along with a team of a lot of other people, had been lobbying for this for mm. uh, many years. And so uh, our c congressman for the second district led the effort. He was Dan Boren at the time. And legislation that he put forward, along with our senator at the time, uh, on the Senate side had to sponsor the legislation. We had to get other tribes involved. We had to, uh, so the Comanche and Sioux Nation were the other two tribes that went with us to Congress. Hmm. And then we had uh, the past and current chief of the Choctaw Nation, Greg Pyle and Gary Batten both went to, to Congress with us. Mm -hmm. It was a, a relatively small team that actually did this. Uh, there were probably about 10 or so of oh, us really? that actually yeah. went up there, had a couple of descendants of Code Talkers that went with us, and uh, Congresses are two years. Oh, which so poses some challenges, years, right? <laughs> after the first two years, and it, we didn't have enough signatures because it's a supermajority bill, which means two-thirds of Congress mm. have to sign on, we had to throw it away and start over. Oh, are you serious? Yes. So the second two years we decided it's got to be more than just a Native American issue. So we brought in some military folks, a couple of generals that we were friends with, lobbied with us, and we made it a Native American slash military issue to get these medals awarded. And we got all the signatures we needed, got all the votes we needed, and it passed. It's amazing. What's really amazing is when we first started, we had identified 14 tribes that had code talkers. We had people writing letters from tribal members, non-tribal members, everyone was behind this bill. We put it in our newspapers of all the tribes. We had tribal members that were excited about it. They wrote their congressmen, they wrote their senators. They helped get these signatures. I'm serious, it was a team That's effort. That's amazing. But 
again, we had 14 tribes identified with code talkers. By the time these medals were awarded, we had identified 34 tribes with code talkers. When you grow from 14 to 34 tribes with code talkers, that's a big PR effort. That's incredible. It is incredible. And I'm so proud of these tribes that found their code talkers. Absolutely. And again, they would have just been those unsung heroes forever if it hadn't been for associations like yes. yours doing this. And some tribes have even written songs about their code talkers. Really? That's great. As they should. Well, and I remember you telling me at one point that you know, you were trying to get these signatures, going back to when you were trying to make this happen, there were even some generals that got involved, correct? Yes, we had uh, two Choctaw generals that went to D.C. with us and marched up and down the halls, went in <laughs> to see our congressmen and senators. And um, <laughs> one of my favorite stories is uh, one of the generals and our tribal chaplain, and uh, I think Chief Batten was in the room with us, and I were... Uh, visiting with one of the representatives and Brother Bertram Bob, the chaplain, is a fluid Choctaw speaker. And the representative uh, congressman asked, he said, well, Brother Bob, do you speak Choctaw? And he says, yes, I do. <laughs> he said, well, can you teach me some Choctaw? And he said, you know some Choctaw already. And Brother Bob said, Oklahoma, it's a Choctaw word. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Representative said, okay, you got me. I'll, I'll sign on to your bill. That's and, awesome. And uh, Brother Bob yeah. said, huh, Choctaw, it's easy language to learn, except for those Germans. But I'm fun. Well played, well played, Brother Bob. But when you take descendants with a good sense of humor that are willing to sp speak, especially when they're elders, man, you can get you can get yes. those signatures. Yes. <laughs> wow, what a win! It must have been such a big celebration. Oh, after it was that. a great educational opportunity. I too. bet. <laughs> <laughs> and then a little bit of learning how to be persuasive <laughs> and committed and not to give up and all of that. So you mentioned about the mint earlier, the U.S. mint. So tell us more about the medals themselves, about what was involved in getting that going. Uh, again, we worked with artists from the mint, and uh, they actually gave us opportunities to use their artist or, and put uh, ideas to them. And some of the tribes had artists that submitted designs and then their artists would revamp them a little. Mm -hmm. We were able to testify to those committees, give them the reasons. Each tribe had uh, symbols and some were spiritual reasons that they wanted their designs, some were military reasons and some were cultural reasons. Uh, the committee was uh, very open to our ideas and it took five years from passage of the bill to the ceremony at the United States Capitol for the award. But it was, we, the tribes were able to take our families of our code talkers and uh, other tribal members if we wished. Mm -hmm. We were able to take our tribal leaders if we wished to the ceremony. So it was a wonderful, huge celebration. After the ceremony at the Capitol building, we went on over to the uh, NMAI to our museum mm -hmm. there in DC and had another celebration and uh, 
uh, it's one of the better events that I think any of us have ever attended. Oh, I bet. I, I think Nucci could testify to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, let's let's hear more about that. You went through this arduous process of having the medals made, and then how were the medals bestowed upon the code talkers or or you know their families? It was the descendants, because of course all the code talkers are gone, but the descendants were uh, the ones that received the medals, and they were given the silver medals. The gold was given to the leaders of the tribe and then the silver were handed to the descendants. Now in the, the process, because this is kind of a little tidbit of information, what the way Judy and I work, we had spoken about if you have a metal which does not really belong to that family, it belongs to everyone, it, it was for the co-talkers. Judy and I spoke with about trying to get the families to turn over the silver medals mm. so that they would not get lost. Oh my goodness, yeah. And they would be, you know, be able to be viewed by everyone. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing because when we were in DC, they did turn off, once they received their medals, they turned them over to us, mm -hmm. which is why wow. they're at the museum in Tuscahoma. Yeah. So okay. it was pretty awesome for that particular thing to happen. And I remember one of them were walking away and Judy said, where are they going, where are they going? Remember that? <laughs> and we, <laughs> stop that man. And then we, then it was like, uh, we need to have that, can we take that medal from you? And they turned it over. So it was like being watched dogs to make sure that we got those medals. Absolutely. But, you know, it's for all the families to be able to see. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was just an incredible, it was an incredible time, kind of a bittersweet because they yes. didn't live to see this happen. Right. And that's, you know, that's sad in itself. Yes, but it is. It's wonderful that finally the government recognized these men. Yeah, what an honor. Yes. Yeah, and I'm sure their families are so incredibly proud. Yes. So the Code Talker Recognition Act, H.R. 4544, recognized every Native American Code Talker who had bravely served the United States Armed Services with a Congressional Gold Medal for their respective tribe and a duplicate silver medal to the Code Talker or family if deceased. The Code Talker Recognition Act legislation was written to allow all tribes who could provide proof that there were Code Talkers in their tribes to come forward so that medals could also be presented to them. So you mentioned visual representation. Actually, we didn't earlier. So how is the Code Talk? So how is the Choctaw Code Talkers Association or the CCTA honoring our veterans with visual representation? Uh, the 23 bridges that were that were done uh, prior to that legislation passed to name Highway Three from Antlers to Broken Bow. Choctaw, World War One Choctaw Code Talker Highway. Hmm. Uh, we have put up two granite markers, one in Antlers and one in Broken Bow. We've done um, numerous talkings through, you know, schools and and whoever needs us to come and 
actually speak. Get that word we out. We get the word out. Um, usually it's Judy and myself that mm-hmm. go speak. And um, recently, of course, the nose art was created, and that was a wonderful thing to happen. Um, also in March, there was a, a young man and, and woman from California who created Our Worlds and did a, a 10 minute film, which is a virtual reality piece. Oh, neat. They won at the SXSW Film Festival in Austin and then turned around and donated that to the association. So we're in the process of trying to get that up and running. Oh, that's which exciting. Which will be really exciting once yeah. we, we're, we get it done. I love so that. So those are if, just a few of the things that we, we do to honor them. And it's such a beautiful drive when you're on, what would you say, Highway 3? Highway 3. Um, when yes. I've traveled those roads before, not even thinking about looking for those code talker signs. Occasionally I'll see them and it just, you know, it's it's heartwarming. So I've taken a few pictures. I'll be sure to post them on my Native Chalk Talk Facebook page as well as I know you guys, you all have provided some for me as well. Um, Judy, anything you would add to that? Uh, we support uh, a couple of children's books that have been done by Unibel Townsend and then uh, we've also um, done a children's book about Joseph Oklahoma that mm-hmm. uh, I've written and another uh, association member, Carol Ayers, has illustrated. So that helps tell the story through uh, art and, and language for children. That's wonderful, and thank you for gifting me that that book. Um, and say the title of the book again. Joseph, Joseph. Oklahoma and the Panther War Cry. Absolutely. So I'll be sure to post photos of that book as well. Be sure listeners to go out and get that book. And it really is, um, it's not just a children's book. It's more like an adult Young adult. adult. Young adult book, right? So, and there have also been, you know, the books you mentioned, the introduction into the Oklahoma Military Hall of Fame, legislative honors from Oklahoma and Texas, a star on the Texas Trail of Fame at the Stockyards, and documentary films. Also, museum exhibits... Also, museum exhibits expand from Choctaw Nation to displays in places such as the Pentagon, the Spy Museum, the National Security Agency, Texas Military Forces Museum, Perrin Air Force Base Historical Museum, and more. So the goals that kicked off the association years ago have been fulfilled, and then more goals continue to surface. So tell about the new project being commissioned, Nucci. Oh, this project we are so excited about, and we are going to have a bronze life-size statue of the Code Talkers at the Choctaw Cultural Center in Durant. Dani Emstead is the artist, and she's working on it as we speak. It's going to probably take about a year, so once that happens, we will have a huge ceremony and an unveiling. That's going to be beautiful out there and a perfect place for it. And then Judy, there's also a new commission of the Historic Projects Office as well, correct? Well, yes, we've been working for some time on uh, books and interviews of Choctaw people and uh, some of the more recent books have featured elders. The one that we're working on now is going to be devoted to Choctaw veterans. And in addition to a book on our Choctaw veterans, we're doing an archive project that will be on the internet. So oh, great. Uh, very soon we'll have a website uh, 
portal for our Choctaw veterans that will feature their stories, their pictures, their background. And in addition to us being at the Choctaw Nation Historic Projects Office, adding those that information to the website, we're hoping to have a portal open so that individuals can add their own information on and we'll simply review it and then push post so that we can add. Uh, Do you guys sleep? Is there any sleep going on <laughs> among you two <laughs> and the whole association? But our, our veteran stories are so important. Absolutely. And we're losing them. And uh, and one of the interviews that I did for the recent book that I did, Memory Keepers, really spurred me to want to do this veteran's book because mm -hmm. even though I included it in the Memory Keepers book, it was about a veteran that told me the story of how he was at Iwo Jima and he said, I saw the flag raised oh. on Mount Suribachi. Wow, and I, I got thought, goosebumps. I've never talked to anyone that yeah. saw that flag yeah. raised. He said, he said, we thought we were going to die. Wow. But when I saw that flag raised, I knew we would be victorious, he said. And I thought, okay, my next book is veterans. <laughs> okay, this is my sign. I've got to do something. Um, but it, it touched me. Uh, yeah. When you hear a story like that, it changes your heart. It does, doesn't it? And uh, every story I hear changes me in some way. Yeah. But, but yeah. that inspired me, and everything I do with the Choctaw Co-Talker Association inspires me. Mm -hmm. But uh, that fantastic. inspired me to inspire my historic projects office to do something new. That's wonderful. So that's my new project. Keep it coming. There's so much exciting things that's yeah. going that's going on with you all. And thanks to all of you at CCTA for preserving the history of our ancestors. So can you imagine if CCTA did not exist? Would people really know about what the Code Talkers did for our country? Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. And they certainly would never have received the honor that they deserved. So quick question, how did you gather all the data and the information over the years about <laughs> the Code Talkers? Well, I began working for the tribe in 1984, and I didn't know we had Code Talkers wow. in 1984. But very soon after I began working, uh, a couple of our council people Charlie Jones and Randall Durant made sure that I was aware of that story. <laughs> and uh, it interested me. I was the editor of the tribal newspaper at the time. Okay. And I thought, this is something we need to put in the newspaper. Absolutely. So uh, they told me about a, a little drugstore over in Hugo that had a little red book that had that story in it. So I went and bought that book. They actually had one copy left. Wow. And I read about this little short story and it didn't have enough information in it. But then there was a researcher named Mike Wright that contacted me about that time and he was doing research on that subject. Hmm. So he had a little bit of information. And I thought, well, Navajo Nation had co-talkers, so I called the Navajo Nation. And there was a guy named Lee Cannon he got on an airplane and came to see me. Amazing. <laughs> okay, so Lee Cannon tells me how to do more research. And he's this fuzzy-faced old cowboy. He's not even Navajo, but he was their PR guy. Okay. And he taught me a little bit about PR and a little bit about research. And then he flew back to Navajo Nation after leaving me with this great big <laughs> file folder of stuff. <laughs> That's great. So I had a lot of help. Yeah. and getting started and then there were more people we printed a couple of little articles people started writing at the newspaper and sending in more articles we asked for more information a big collaborative effort and our files started to grow more researchers started coming in mm -hmm. teamwork is how it happened isn't it true though 
Yeah. yeah, and all these families that you've interviewed, mm -hmm. I'm sure that helped a lot, even though they were limited, mm -hmm. too, on some of their knowledge. And half the information was wrong, and we got <laughs> corrected later. And, 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 and that's what happens when you're researching. Yes. I'm sorry, it just does. You and know? it's been a great journey. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, thank you. I'm glad you both have been so involved and are still doing so much. According to the Choctaw Code Talkers Telephone Warriors booklet, Colonel Morrissey was asked if he had to fight the war over again, and he had commanded, and he had command of a regiment, if he would like to have any Indians in it. He made the reply, I would make every effort to fill my regiment with Indians. So ladies, I think about everything you've done, and although the goal has been to honor these great men without seeking any glory, um, but you are also, you know, we should highly commend you for what you've done. I'm, I'm really amazed. Listeners, I hope you'll consider donating to the Choctaw Code Talkers Association so that these ladies can continue the good work in honoring our heroes. So how can folks donate if they'd like? Well, as I stated earlier, we are a 501c3, and if someone wants to donate or even become a member you know we're mm -hmm. open you don't you do not have to be a descendant you anybody can have a membership with the code oh, association and that all helps us you know get to our goals and, yeah. and you can send your money to carol Ayers, mm -hmm. and her address is 8692 homestead road in kingston oklahoma zip code 73439 you can also find her address on our Facebook page if you don't yes. happen to write that down. Okay, so she perfect. Is, you know, we do have something on the Facebook page about donations and mm -hmm. anyway, check out our Facebook page. Totally. There's yeah. so much to learn yeah. there. You, our listeners would definitely enjoy your Facebook page. You guys are posting some fun stuff on there yeah. and good information for all of us to know. Judy, would you add anything to that? No, but uh, our membership fee is just $10 annually. And okay. uh, please consider joining our Choctaw Code Talk Association. Please consider joining our Choctaw Code Talk Association and keep Perfect. in touch. Absolutely. And as we, talk, as we just said, listeners can search for Choctaw Code Talkers Association on Facebook, super easy, to see the Code Talker highway signs and keep up with the latest. So Judy, you mentioned books earlier, such as Memory Keepers and the children's book, Joseph Oklahoma and the Panther War Cry. And Nucci, you've supported the sales of the books, Toby and the Secret Code and Ben and the Missing Pony. So where can people find these good books? At the Choctaw store, which is at the uh, complex, mm -hmm. correct? Yes, at the headquarters. Yes, the headquarters. Okay. It used to be in a different place and yeah. everything's at the headquarters. And that's in Durant? Yes. At the headquarters? Yes. Okay. Anything online that they can try uh, to find that way? The Choctaw store is online, but sometimes you can't find all their products. Okay. So you can actually call the, the store. You can get online. If you can't find it, call the number that's online and ask for those books. Okay. And do the proceeds for the books go to support the association? Yes. Good. Okay. So, Judy, you're also working on the Choctaw Veterans book that you mentioned mm -hmm. and um, have a message you'd like to send to our veterans. Yes, if you are a Choctaw veteran and would like to be a part of the archive project, please contact me at judy.allen at choctawnation.com. I would love to get in touch with you and set up an interview or send you the information to fill out. 
Thank you so much. So veterans, take note, please. We'd love to hear from you. I'd like to encourage all of my listeners to check out First Americans Museum here in Oklahoma City, where we've been recording today. So visit their website at famok.org, where you can check out all the fun events going on, as well as exhibits and programs. It's fantastic and well worth your time. And the ladies and I actually spent some time in the bookstore spending too much money on (laughs) beautiful things. There's lots of local artists and great books written written by um, many historians and Choctaw people as well, as well as other tribal members. So before we go, I'd like to ask each of you, are there any words of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? Nuchi, I'll start with you. Keeping your faith and your culture alive is very important. Hard work and tenacity mm-hmm. will take you a long way in reaching your goals. Absolutely. I have a a favorite saying because you have to start with children sometimes, and I keep this up on a chalkboard at my home, and it says, I am not so great in the eyes of a tiger as I am in the eyes of a child, and that's where we have to start. Beautiful. Thank you. That's very good. And how about you, Judy? What wisdom would you like to impart on our listeners today? Everyone that I interview says, why are you wanting to interview me? My story is not important. (laughs) I want everyone to know that your story is unique and important, and we all want to know more about everyone that we meet. Don't be afraid to talk about your story. And in fact, I think it's very important that you start writing down some of your memories uh, and uh, you don't have to keep a formal journal but but keep some type of notebook Mm -hmm. or memory book because you're going to look back someday and say well I wish I'd uh, kept some notes on that vacation or notes on that trip or uh, that event that family reunion because now I'm wondering who was it that I was with at that event Mm -hmm. or that time and Uh, the more that we can take notes now, the better that we can share that with our younger generations. And uh, I think that that's just something that uh, it'll be a gift Mm -hmm. someday to the rest of our family. And uh, it's just just something that's important for us to to pass on. And as a fan of preservation myself, I completely approve this message. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. These courageous men were once abused for speaking their own language, and yet someday they would use that language to save our country and our freedom. May we never forget. A heartfelt thank you, a heartfelt thank you to FAM and to Jenny Underwood, the marketing and communications manager here at FAM, as well as to Gina Timberman of the Luxie Group for helping us with this opportunity to work together and to the Choctaw Code Talkers Association, to Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, and to you, dear Nuchi and Judy, Yakoki, for all your tireless work for our Choctaw veterans, truly heroes of our country. Blessings to you and to all the families of these great and brave men. Thanks for listening to Native Choctaw. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Choctaw. That's Native, C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at nativechoctalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends.